Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Step and Repeat. Uh, my name is Andrew and I am joined as always today by your other host, Matt. Hello. Uh, and this is our first Step and Repeat roundtable episode, Yay. or at least a virtual roundtable. Yeah. Uh, so we're joined today by multiple guests to discuss a specific topic about movies and hopefully it's successful, uh, and if so, we hope to have others. But on today's roundtable, we are here to discuss movies that are directed by women. And uh, so at least I want to kick things off uh, with some introductions of our guests. Uh, first, we are joined today by returning guest and host of the podcast Works Cited. Everyone, please welcome back to the show, Carly. Yay. Hi. Hi, Carly. <laughs> Hi, Matt. <laughs> so good to hear you again. Glad to have you back. Um, and uh, another returning guest and longtime friend of the pod, say hello again to Corinne. Hello. hello. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Hi, Corinne. Hello. Good, good evening. <laughs> and last but not least, we have a first time guest, but longtime listener and host of the podcast. This is the part I don't get. Everyone give it up for Jenny. Yay. Woo! Hi. Great. Uh, so now that we have everyone here, at least right off the top, just if it's okay, I just want to take a minute to talk about kind of the origins of this episode and then what to expect from this conversation or for the next hour or however long it takes. Sound good? Yeah, perfect. Cool. Okay, so this episode idea actually came about a little over a month ago in a casual conversation I was having with Carly. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so, shout out. Very Un heated conversation. Oh Unexpected my. shout oh out. My. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we discussed many of things, uh, but one of the big uh, topics was kind of sexism in Hollywood and movies and filmmaking. And Carly rightfully pointed out to us that this podcast, even if not intentionally, had up to, up to that point only meaningfully covered two movies that were directed by women. And at that point, it was Hustlers, which was directed by Lorene Scafaria. And Harriet, which was directed by Cassie Lemons. Uh, we've since done an episode, a full episode on Little Women. But the point kind of remains that our reviews have strongly focused on movies directed by men. Uh, and at least first and foremost, I want to say I'm sorry. And that was an <laughs> oversight. <laughs> uh, that was not intentional. <laughs> and uh, But that's not to say that it's not part of a sort of systemic problem of ignoring movies, often great movies, that are directed by women. And that's actually where Corinne and Jenny come in. So Corinne, once upon a time, was scheduled to come on the show and talk about the movie A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, which is the Mr. Rogers mm -hmm. movie, directed by Marielle Heller. And Jenny and I had discussed her guesting potential guesting about the french lesbian drama portrait of a lady on fire yep. which is directed by celine uh Schiama. um excuse me i would also like to point out that the holiday is directed by a woman and that's true is. that actually and made it i mentioned that love actually yeah. is directed yeah. by a man so, <laughs> so just <laughs> wanted to throw that out there yeah uh very true one point for the holiday okay yeah. continue i'm kind of and... a background in this whole conversation so <laughs> yeah. i don't really matter now, so both okay. of those episodes that we were talking about with Corinne and Jenny, those both kind of fell through for miscellaneous reasons. But I think that's kind of a good example of how easily we can forget mm -hmm. about giving a platform uh, to women-directed movies. And uh, that negligence was also echoed this week when they announced the uh, Oscar nominations and in Best Director uh, once again, all five of the nominees were men. Mm -hmm. And so we're kind of here today to at least sort of course correct 
Uh, first to allow Corinne and Jenny to get their long overdue takes on <laughs> <laughs> on their movies, and also uh, then uh, to allow Carly to make her case far more eloquently than I could or <laughs> Matt could. Yeah. I think. Yeah, that's why I'm out. That's this is all well, the ladies. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, truthfully, I think I see myself and can't speak for Matt, but more as like moderators yeah. in this sort of discussion. Yeah. And, like, really want to hear from you three. I mean, kind of want to kick things off with, like, the big overall question. So, Carly, Corinne, Jenny, what do you think? Why do movies or Oscar voters tend to ignore movies that are directed by women? I think it's because movies about men are seen as movies and movies about women are seen as movies about women. Ultimately, I think that's kind of what it comes down to. Um, and I think it's an inherent bias that a lot of people want to watch movies, not movies about women. Um, and obviously, that's not how it should be. That's, like, not my opinion on how movies work. But when you, like, look at such, like, a male-dominated field and see how every movie is a story about a man or a boy, um, but every story about a woman is therefore coded as a feminist film or a not-feminist film or a political statement or a movie about women... Um, When you look at a movie like Little Women and say, oh, this is different because it's about women rather than it's a coming of age story. um, I think that can lead to a lot of good things. Like, I'm not saying we shouldn't make things important and celebrate them when they are revolutionary. But I think it leads a lot of people to kind of sweep them under the rug as, oh, I don't want to get political. Oh, I'm not into big feminist movies. Oh, I'm not into movies about women where they would never say I'm not into movies about guys. Right. So you're mm-hmm. so you're you're kind of saying that men won't see movies about women just solely because it's political or or like there's a gender um, bias there. I think there's an inherent marking of movies about and by women. Um, there's a kind of othering of them. Okay. They're kind of set apart rather than being considered just a great movie. It's a great women's. It's a movie, great movie or it's mm-hmm. a great... by a woman. Yeah. It's a great women's movie, or it's a great movie about women. Yeah. Um, there's no looking at it outside of the lens of femininity. So one thing I guess to like maybe push back on is Catherine Bigelow, who was nominated for The Hurt Locker in, I believe it was 2009. Yes, like it was, it's a, it's a movie directed by a woman, but also it's about combat and war and something like you typically wouldn't see like a woman making. However... It's always going to have that, not stigma, stigma is not the right word, but um, when you think of The Hurt Locker, one thing you'll always think of is that, oh, it was Catherine Bigelow. She was, you know, a female director who was nominated for this work. So, so I can, I can kind of see what you're saying, but at the same time, like women can, they can make movies that are kind of in a male dominated field. Um, But, but it's like, they can't make movies about women or women's issues. It's, like, that was all about, you know, war and, mm-hmm. and battle. And, of course, like, men are interested in that. So it was, like, I think people almost, like, forgot that that was directed by a woman. So it was, like, yeah. that one kind of got, like, they let that one in. But, like, like she's saying, like, anything else that has anything to do with, like, even if it's just about a woman, it becomes a feminist thing where it's just, like, no, we're just trying to tell our story. You right. Know? Yeah. right. It's a, it's a human <laughs> story. It's a human not. story. Yeah. 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 And, I yeah, I don't mean to, like, sway too much from the conversation but there's also been like a big discussion in hollywood about um black actors playing getting nominated specifically for roles that are written for black people such as like um lupita nyango in 12 years a slave or you know th- things like that so but but i see what you're saying in the sense of women making movies for and about women well a beautiful day in the neighborhood is a movie directed by a woman and it's almost all men yeah in that movie. yeah, yeah. Yeah, Corinne, do we have you yes. on the line? Yes. 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 So did you think anything of that? Did you were you even familiar with the director of A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood before you saw it? No, I wasn't aware that it was a female director at all. And so not that it surprised me that she was able to direct that film, um, but just that there's so few women that I was just so excited, like, oh, a movie I saw was directed by a woman. And because there's just not that many, but I didn't see it come through kind of in the film. Like, I mean, like Carly brought up that difference between movies made 
movies and movies made for women. But I didn't really see that difference here because perhaps the the two main characters in the film were were men. But that's something that I didn't even notice until you two brought it to my attention about this podcast. That's generally like a good thing, right? Like it yeah. shouldn't matter. Correct. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So that's what I'm saying. It's really that was a positive thing for Marielle. Yeah. What did you think of the movie overall? Um, so I was a big fan. Um, I was a little uh, misled by the trailers. I thought it was more focused on Tom Hanks and and kind of the Mr. Rogers aspect. Uh, but the main focus was on kind of the point of view of the journalist who was chronicling him and chronicling his story. So I really enjoyed kind of that different perspective of someone coming in to kind of talk to him um, about his life and his background and his story. And I really liked the aspect of kind of the heroes of what does it mean to be a hero in America? And if this movie was set in the nineties, I believe, or late eighties. Yeah, um, I think you're right. I think it was nine, somewhere around that. Yeah, but not <laughs> yeah. modern time, definitely at least 20, 25 years ago. And so to kind of see what is that, what does that definition of a hero look like to America 25 years ago? was really an interesting take on the story kind of before 9-11 and we started to really define kind of who heroes are based on that but what does that look like in the world so overall I really enjoyed the movie but as someone who is not a cinephile like Andrew and Matt I am really easily impressed by movies so the fact that I like it (laughs) I'm right there with you Corinne (laughs) Uh, well truthfully that's like kind of another reason why I want all of your opinions too because obviously as two men who are hosting the show we risk mansplaining things (laughs) so please call us out if we ever (laughs) ever do that (laughs) to that end don't mansplain Uh, mansplaining to me Andrew (laughs) (laughs) like one of the themes of A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood is masculinity and like toxic sort of masculinity it's about you know the reporter's relationship with his father who he gets into a physical sort of fight with Mm -hmm. and grudges like that are held and then along comes a sort of passive figure like mr rogers the real life mr rogers Mm -hmm. okay teaches his wisdom (laughs) to the reporter about like how to be a good person mm-hmm. what mr rogers does it's funny because i actually wasn't super high on uh, a beautiful day in the neighborhood uh i there were certain things that i liked about it um like i actually liked the reporter storyline and i liked the individual mr rogers storyline a lot of it a lot of it it didn't go as in-depth as I wanted them to. I think there were like a little too many actually self-referential references to Mr. Rogers. It was kind of like, it's Mr. Rogers. It's Mr. Rogers. And I was like, yes, I got it. <laughs> yeah. so, I, think that, yeah. I think the movie lost me with like the scene on the train and everyone singing to him. I was like, I'm done. It was like a little too much like to kind of go for the nostalgia factor instead of like telling the story. But there were some really powerful scenes. I think the most powerful scene in the movie is when they sit for an entire minute in silence at the diner. Mm-hmm. And that that really affected me. Yeah, so. and that's not something that you see in films often, is folks utilizing the silence in the background. It's typically how to keep you engaged in the film. But through that silence, Mr. Rogers prompted the journalist with a question and had him think about it for a minute and made him sit there and really... Uh, take it in so that was really impactful I really enjoyed that as well that the talk about silence actually brings up another topic of conversation want to bring up Mm -hmm. which is about uh, the way women in general are portrayed in movies and specifically around talking Mm -hmm. so much has been made this year of two performances in particular where there are well-known actresses that have very few lines in their respective movies. And these were creative choices, but it's part of a sort of larger problem of women in general not getting a lot of lines in their movies. And the two movies I'm referring to are Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Margot Robbie's character. 
and the Irishman uh, with Anna Paquin's character. And not that you all needed to have seen these movies, but just know that they don't speak a lot. Yeah, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know either of them were in either of those movies. I mean, I, I, haven't, <laughs> I haven't seen them, but yeah. like, I don't remember seeing them in the trailers at all, so that tells you something. <laughs> exactly. Were they nominated? No. no. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that would really <laughs> interesting. So the creative choice that they said is like, you're supposed to be paying attention to their silence because like their silence speaks louder than words. So do you think that's just like bullshit or like, or what, what do you all think of about that? I think that if I were a more articulate, well-read feminist scholar, I might like make a theory you know what i'll just make the theory i think (laughs) i think that when you have women in film and you don't give them speaking roles it's it's i i mean if you don't give them a lot of lines you're essentially like objectifying them right like we all know that word objectification you're making them part of the scenery they're an accessory Mm -hmm. this is not always the case i'm not saying it's done intentionally but there is that effect of okay why have them in it at all like if you're not going to give them a meaningful part I've only, of the movies you mentioned, I've only seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and they promote Margot Robbie. Like, go see Margot Robbie. Margot Robbie's a fantastic actress, and she's just underutilized, and it's almost, it's almost like she's just there to look pretty, you know? Carly, I 110% agree with you on that. I, I said from the beginning, I think, I thought Margot Robbie looked fantastic. I thought Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was more going to center around Sharon Tate and the Sharon Tate right, murders. Right, me too. So that's, I, I guess that's kind of where I was a little disappointed in the movie, Um but I also think, like, Tarantino is a misogynistic pig. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, whereas, like, in The Irishman, Anna Paquin's character, it was a little more creative on Scorsese's part, whereas, like, Anna Paquin is kind of playing Robert De Niro's, uh, we spoke about this in the last podcast, about the podcast about The Irishman, kind of playing his consciousness. And I felt like her silence meant a lot more in The Irishman than it did in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So, like, yeah, and, like, Margot Robbie in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was just, like, there as the dumb blonde and like she was the damsel in distress who needed saving and guess what she got saved in the end by two men so this is a tangent that no one asked for but i'm gonna say it anyway go for it um but it's similar to what you're saying of like why did quentin tarantino like decide to make a movie quote-unquote about the manson murders and then just make it a completely unrelated story exactly about two boring white guys yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he made manson and they boring. are boring sorry <laughs> Yeah. They're boring. Yeah. Freaking, like, American Horror Story did it better than he did. Like, it's... I've never seen either of those movies, so I can't comment specifically on those, but I think in general, there is this frustration of, like, when there's a male, like, it, it's a lot of it, it's in the war movies or even a lot of the superhero movies where it's, the woman is just, her role <laughs> is to be, like, the worried, bless you, <laughs> the worried, <laughs> like, wife or worried mother that's just, like, standing by the phone, like, waiting for it to ring to find out if he's okay or or like running to you know running to the police be like where's my husband you know and it's just and they really don't have many lines or many um any part that's really significant other than to be the one that's just sitting there worried like the the sidekick like oh no what will I do without my husband and like they're they're basically like useless without them yeah I'm actually glad you mentioned superhero movies because this will be this year 2020 marks the second time ever in the history of movies that a female dominated superhero movie will come out um that being black widow coming out in may and last year's captain marvel of like the 500 superhero movies we have don't forget uh wonder woman Woman. yeah Yeah. three three, three. (laughs) and four okay so so yeah i forgot wonder woman's coming out this year as well so for anyways, it doesn't matter. So of like of the five hundred superhero Too movies, few, we have, one way or another. Yeah, we have four <laughs> superhero movies about women. But if people see them, like I, Captain Marvel made a ton of money, and Wonder Woman, I, I don't have the numbers with me right now, but the only DC movie that was successful and successful. and good <laughs> yeah. and good was Wonder Woman. So yeah, um, is everyone here familiar with the Bechdel test? Yes. 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 <laughs> okay. We'll give a quick rundown in case our listeners are unfamiliar. So the Bechdel test is this kind of test that was more or less created by comedian Allison. I believe her name's Allison. Yep. uh, Bechdel. I think she was uh, a a comic writer. Yeah. And uh, essentially, it's simple. Three questions about female representation in movies. 
number one, is there more than one named female character in a movie? So are there two or more female uh, characters that are named in the movie? Number two, do those characters speak to each other? And number three, is what they're talking about something then other than a man? So like Jenny was saying, like about her husband yeah. from, like waiting by the phone. <laughs> so if it passes those three questions, it passes the Bechdel test. And there are a shocking number of movies that do not pass this test. Yeah, I think it said like at least like 50% of movies don't, <laughs> might even be Which, more. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, and I was thinking um, the, the A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, like does that even pass? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. I think I think about it frequently when I'm like watching movies. But too. honestly, I can't think, I can think of one two actually two female characters in a beautiful day in the neighborhood and i can't think of a time uh they may have interacted so i don't know that's a good question well i think when she comes over to the apartment i think the wife is in the apartment talking to see i can't remember this is not good <laughs> yeah exactly and, and i don't see it so andrew sent us all a list of, uh website ahead of time and i don't see a beautiful day in the neighborhood even on this list as a as a pass or not pass yeah uh well listeners if you know a beautiful day in the neighborhood please correct us <laughs> let yeah. us know but uh, think now. yeah I don't know. well the even the point that we have to think about it yeah like, that's the whole like point. it's not an obvious yes yeah, yeah. so uh, Knives Out passes, so that's one feminism point to me. Props to Carly. And kind of back to at least our, our our overall sort of point too is that one of the reasons why I think it's important to get or to talk about movies that are directed by women because women correct me if I'm wrong, like they would have those voices. They could give the voice to two women to like speak and tell their own stories. And so then it's, they're less of ignoring the female characters. There's at least less of that. I would venture to guess that women directed movies pass the Bechdel test far more frequently <laughs> than male directed movies. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think so. I agree with that. This might be out of like left field. But for me, the Bechdel test is kind of like a non-variable because it's, it seems very obviously it's weird when a movie doesn't pass it. You're like, wow, that's weird. But I don't think it's necessarily like a marker of a feminist film. And I don't think that's what anyone's saying here. I've seen it described as like the bare minimum test. But I think it's an interesting thing to look at. But I don't know if we can necessarily use it to judge like the progressiveness or like to assign points, whatever that means towards being progressive or not. Um, I don't think it's a very useful tool for measuring much for measuring much. It's kind of more of a bare minimum. It's weird when it doesn't happen situation. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, for example, I'm pretty sure the movie silence of the lambs <laughs> fails the Bechtel test. But, like, Clary Starling is, like, one of, like, the best female characters of, like, the past 30 years. And that uh, doesn't, you know, hold up in the Bechdel test. Yeah, right. so, sometimes there was just not that many characters to begin with. So it's, like, like even in Silence of the Lambs, like, it's just, like, her and, and him most for most of the movie. So it's, like, you know, if you you could throw in a female character, I guess, but you know it wouldn't it would, it might you know not really add much to the the story so yeah but yeah i think it does just bring up a great um just point like oh these sound like so like three such simple things that you would just assume that most movies do and then you're like oh no like the thing like every time like the conversation about about men like it's like wow you know when i learned about it i think in one of my classes i you know i started noticing in movies like oh my god every conversation it's about you know <laughs> another guy <laughs> so it's just it is interesting uh so one of the movies that i think uh, uh fails what's called the reverse bechdel test which is <laughs> like two women talking about anything other than a man is portrait of a lady on fire uh, <laughs> which i don't think has has like 
two men in it total and like they barely speak yeah and the men characters in it are like almost like they kind of frumpy like they're almost kind of making fun of them like in a way like there's the, the messenger guy that comes in to deliver um, something and i i can't remember i just remember it being like a comedic scene and you're like yeah. why is he there <laughs> well i hope this isn't too much of a spoiler well should, but... should we tell what it's about i guess or yeah yeah do you want let um uh, do you want to take? Do you want to have the honors? Uh, sure. So, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. It's a French film. It's set in France. I believe they set on the coast of Brittany. If yeah. anyone knows where that is, um, <laughs> it's it's very scenic. Um, but it's it's set in the 1770s. Um, so it tells the story of a painter, um, a woman painter named uh, Marianne. She is hired to paint a portrait of a younger woman named Eloise. Um, and the portrait is to be sent to this man who she's supposed to marry her. It's like an arranged marriage. But um, Eloise does not want to be painted. And the last painter kind of gave up because she wouldn't let him see her face. So Marianne is sent there and she's told, uh, I'm sorry, Eloise is told, hey, this, this girl's here to hang out with you and walk with you, basically. Um, so Marianne has to like secretly observe Eloise and like paint her in secret so that they can get the portrait done and um, a a, you know a romantic relationship evolves um, during that time and it's it just it hits a lot of uh, like when you said it's the opposite of the Bechdel I, I think you're right meaning like they they cover abortion they cover periods you know, it's like every man's nightmare, really. <laughs> <laughs> so the the thing that I was going to say at the end, because like it's this is a two hour, beautiful, beautiful movie mm-hmm. of just like mostly the the two women together. There are other characters, but and they're mm-hmm. like their relationship evolving. Yeah. But it, and isn't too much of a spoiler. But at the very end, there's a man who shows up. And you realize this is the first man you've seen on screen in like two hours. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of like, oh, the fun's over. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, like, it, like the, the men literally ruin it. And... Yeah, and, and we were talking about silence earlier. And I think this is a movie that really does a good job with the silence. Like, I, at first I was like, oh, this is going to be slow and long and boring, but it's just, the interaction between these two and these actresses are just so great with, the, I mean, there's so much caught in just their, the way they look at each other and um, just like the, the little moments that really just captures just the beauty of it and, and how they feel about each other. And there really isn't a lot of dialogue, but when they do talk, it's like these really, like really great lines that I'm just like, man, I, I need to write that down. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and there's like there's really good subtleties in there too, like our artistic choices that I think that they show, but you know don't hammer home. Like so, for example, things you notice like right is a lot of like body hair on the women. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, and so like I I get that it was the 1770s and France. Yeah, but like that's like something you just don't see in film that much at all so like the fact that they even you know put that on screen i think i think is cool yeah yeah very i remember seeing that and and being like oh god i feel a little bit uncomfortable (laughs) even (laughs) you know for me it's like this is not allowed (laughs) yeah yeah and like why shouldn't it be allowed right like who cares yeah yeah i i loved portrait of a lady on fire it was it was like super sensual and like it was it was really great in the way that to like watch the way that they get to know each other and they would kind of like tease each other like they would say like i can tell you're in a bad mood because like you always look away when i don't look at you or something like that right and just to see those like small sort of interactions kind of build into this like budding romance and was like really fascinating to watch and like beautiful again like this is a coastal french town so like can't get much not even town it's like a castle <laughs> and can't get 
much more beautiful than that. So yeah, um, and I like the dynamic between Marianne and Eloise. Like Marianne's kind of like you know I you know she's 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 a painter. She she's like I don't I don't know if I want to get married. Like she's kind of just like she's doing what she wants to do. She doesn't care. And then Eloise is kind of trapped in this world where you know she has to get married. She just left the convent. You know, and I think um, you know they're different perspectives uh you know they they see each other's lives and i think um both kind of learn from each other like you know marianne learns that living in this beautiful castle like with this beautiful view you know you might have what looks like to be a great life but it's you know she's actually kind of a prisoner and then eloise kind of learns from marianne that like hey you know women can live on their own and it's not the end of the world if you're not married it's not something that you necessarily have to do to to move on in the world but it's they're just a very different <laughs> i guess end yeah. of the spectrum i think at the risk of sounding too corny they see each other for who they are yeah right we were fortunate jenny and i were fortunate enough to see it like uh this like european film showcase <laughs> but it is coming out in theaters on valentine's day appropriately so uh, there will be uh, opportunities to see everyone other people to see it soon too yeah oh and i'll say the music is really it's well i guess it's just that one song where all the women are singing which um i think i was reading like one of the reviews of saying like how beautiful that is although i like when i was reading the reviews like who is it is it roger either is he the one that's the he still has a website, but he um, he's passed away. No, okay, who's <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not him. It, it was it was somebody else, but it was like the re- even the review. Like he gave it a really good review, but like it was really like he kept talking about how sexy it was, and like he and he com- compared he compared the song to the climax of an orgasm. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, it's this beautiful song. Yeah, and he's talking about, like, yes, like, I don't know. I don't don't know if he was just trying, like, too hard to be artistic or what, but it was just, like, it was just grossing me out. (laughs) It's a little too much. (laughs) Yeah, Um, just just a tad. (laughs) Well, I was hoping, um, since it did qualify for this year's Oscars, I was hoping that it was going to, like, get in there for like a couple of categories like maybe even um best cinematography but it didn't or long shot it had a it could have won best director or could have gotten nominated for best director for scalene skiyama um because she won an award at the Cannes film festival i think for directing but that didn't happen and there were no nominees that went to women for uh, best director this year <laughs> Yay! <laughs> <laughs> I think th- this is like kind of sad because the only one who had like a real, real shot was Greta Gerwig. But like, we shouldn't be putting it on like one woman to like hold the torch, right? For like the only one to get a nomination. <laughs> so, like, that's kind of unfair to like all filmmakers in general. I think. I was looking for the Robert yeah. Ebert review because he, it, there is a review, but maybe it's written by someone else. It's just on his website, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I was like, like, did he come back side. from the dead and write this? Yeah. <laughs> so there's been an idea for the best director that's been thrown out there. Uh, it has like some support, but some people push back against this too. And that's a, at splitting the best director category by gender. So it'd be nope, sort of, nope, yeah. nope, 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 not on board. Yeah, and what do you what do you think of the hot takes? Me or should I have the ladies go? <laughs> Everyone, I'll just speak on this real quick. But I don't think it bodes well for women at all. Like it's creating a category to say, "Oh, we're sorry, we're going to have a female ca- a female director category because we don't think you're quite good enough for the director category, so we'll give you your own." Just like, just like the best popular film category. It's, it's a bunch of bogus. It's a bunch of BS. Just put women... Like, I don't understand why... Like, I never... Just, do like, better do yet. better, why Academy. Are you, how are you going to give a best adapted screenplay, a, a best actress, best supporting actress, best picture of the year, and not give a best director nomination? I don't know why this is so hard. But that's just my take. 
So I agree. It's, it's total BS. BS. Quite frankly, like in my opinion, I don't even think that the actor categories need to be gendered. But that's a really hot take. I think that when you're putting them in a whole different field, that doesn't make sense. And also, by the way, there aren't two genders. There's more than two genders to categorize it further Great than point. that. Mm-hmm. It's also yep. kind of weird. <laughs> like, to say, ah, men directors and women directors, that leaves non-binary folks and everybody else on the spectrum, outside of the spectrum, in a weird place to say, yes, we've covered all the genders now, men and women, we got them both. That feels weird, and it, it does kind of feel like consolation yeah. prize. Like, mm-hmm. honestly think that there just needs to be more directed efforts towards being more diverse with your picks and doing like a women category is like the easy way out. Yeah, uh, I agree. hundred percent. When you mean uh, like picks, like meaning the, the voters should be more representative of everything. everything. Yeah. Like more diverse across yeah. the board. Stephen King, like famous author, got into some hot water, uh, not really hot water, but a little bit of hot water. Um, when he tweeted that he votes, he's part of the Academy and he votes for uh, both screenplay categories and best picture. And he tweeted that diversity is never a question. And I'm sure he thought this was a really hot take, like a really well take. <laughs> and so that was cool of him. When you have that take, you're leaving out, like when you're like, oh, it should be about quality and nothing else. And if women are making the best films, then they'll right. get nominated. That's not true. That has never <laughs> happened. And if we don't take like, systemic action towards making it happen it won't happen and that take kind of ignores like three things like privilege opportunity and implicit bias men sometimes implicitly aren't very interested mm-hmm. in women's stories that doesn't make them any less valid i.e little women <laughs> i.e little women except you mm-hmm. do <laughs> <laughs> no well we we like implicitly did it whether you know we wanted to or not well, well i can't even to. talk i didn't see the movie <laughs> I didn't really want to. Are, are you talking about little women yeah little women about? oh yeah okay. uh, i think you're talking about the podcast in general <laughs> like oh, um, oh well yeah no yeah there i mean there's a report uh from vanity fair i think we've referenced it before but we'll post it again uh that men are uninterested in seeing little women you know to the point i think that carly made at the uh, top of the podcast of they kind of a lot of them give the excuse of like oh that story's not for me why do i need to see it and mm-hmm. and i think a lot of people are sort of like implicitly you know not paying attention to it too so they would uh, oscar voters would skip like the screenings that they had to give the voters a chance to see all the movies but like they wouldn't do that for like 1917 yeah and i I think it's probably the same for you know african-american movies and and movies with people of color like they're like well you know i'm not really interested in that um you know so they because they probably can't relate to it or you know it brings up their privilege and things that they don't want to necessarily think about or be aware of so you know they'd rather see movies of white guys that are you know heroes and you know mobsters and stuff like that than than a movie about women or or marginalized populations yeah so time wrote a very good article about um women directors being shut out and i wanted to read a little bit of it because there is there is a reason there there's some reasons why so many women directors are left out so um they say and i'm quoting they say diversity may be growing in the Academy as a whole, but the director's branch hasn't necessarily reached charity. The Academy declined to share the gender breakdown of the directors, mm-hmm. uh, but the rules, to, the rules to join are structured in a way that might limit the number of women directors who are able to gain entry. This is very interesting. According to the Academy's website, members must have at least two directorial credits, at least one of which had to premiere in theaters in the last 10 years. The films must also be deemed of caliber, which in the opinion of the executive committee reflect the high standards of the Academy. A director with only one credit to their name might also qualify if that film is nominated uh, for Best Directing, Best Picture, or Best Foreign Language Film, or if the executive committee decides to make an exception based on some, quote-unquote, unique distinction or, quote-unquote, special merit. It's unclear how this often happens. Now, those rules sound reasonable enough, but they present a major obstacle for female directors who receive dramatically fewer opportunities to direct a second film to their male counterparts. Then they go on to say that, according to the Annenberg Institute, women directors, women directed just 4% of the top 1,200 films from 2007 to 2018. Of those female directors, only 17.4% had gotten to direct another movie beyond their debut feature. That all being said, <laughs> the rules on, I, I don't know, Andrew, if you want to chime in here, but the, the rules, according to the Academy, kind of seem unfair in this aspect. I don't know how you feel about this. 
I mean, I think to kind of Carly's point of do better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the way that I sort of see it too is an easy sort of solution. This isn't a solution, but an easy step in the right direction is invite more, invite more women directors, like yeah. continue, like bring more diverse voices to the table. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so they're pretty much saying that women just get very few opportunities to direct and those opportunities come over in a shorter period of time. Whereas like men's careers have spanned decades from the twenties to the eighties. Um, you know, like look at like Scorsese or like Tarantino. So how is that fair to like Lulu Wang and Greta Gerwig? So going against these power. Could I present, yeah. could I present a theory um, that I have about the Spectre best director situation? Yeah. It's one that I vented to Andrew about, but I wasn't very articulate. So I researched it. I think and I'm not the first one to say that I've seen, you know, tweets about it and stories about it. I think a lot of it comes down to the Academy and prestige filmmakers view towards like the director as the auteur. So auteur theory, um, back when I was in film school for a hot second, this was like everyone's favorite thing. So auteur theory is basically the view of a filmmaker in which the director is considered the primary force in a motion picture. And this is like highly gendered. Like if you think of for the best examples of like, auteurs are like quentin tarantino wes anderson going back to like alfred hitchcock is one of the first like major directors and if you look at the winners and nominees for the past 10 years they've all been people that you could definitely consider auteurs even the nominees this year tarantino scorsese mendez i would all call auteurs who have been nominated and won before um i found a really good article from paper as to why women and people of color are often not considered auteurs. And it had some really interesting critiques. Film critic named Pauline Kael basically took it to task by saying um, auteur theory is all about narcissistic male fantasies, which is, like, funny, and I don't need it. Um, (laughs) Melissa Silverstein, who is the editor of Women in Hollywood and an artistic director for the Athena Film Festival, basically says um, that auteur theory leaves women out because women are just starting to begin to create a body of work that lets them into the Mm -hmm. conversation. So kind of what you're saying of they don't with their position in the academy they don't have enough. Yeah, it's like, like David. It's like David Goliath. Right, and we look at so many like directors as larger than life. Like I'm thinking back to like my freshman year intro to film class when they said who's your favorite director and everyone said Scorsese, Tarantino, uh, these larger than life personalities that kind of dominate our vision of what filmmaking is. Um, and we just don't look at women as having these larger than life personalities that dominate filmmaking. And that's what the Academy's looking for. They're looking for their same people. Um, the only exception I'll make to the rule this year is like randomly Todd Phillips, who's about as far from. <laughs> and that's the, that's the one credit I can give to the director of The Hangover, um, which is which is interesting. I like people don't think about like female directors as characters like. I can name probably, like, even on my end, I don't even see that many movies made by people who aren't men. Like, I can recognize that in myself and try to do better. But I like to ask people, like, what their favorite movie directed by a woman is. And so many people, like, have to think really, really hard. But if I ask people who their favorite, like, what their favorite favorite Tarantino movie is, they'll come up with an answer really, really quick. Sorry if I'm hating on Tarantino a lot. Getting flashbacks to, again, freshman year (laughs) and every white boy I ever met saying, have you have you have you seen uh quentin tarantino have you seen kill bill oh my god you've got to see kill bill. Um, it's like yeah i've seen kill bill it's fine one thing that we we all just like kind of touched on here too especially when you're talking about that article carly is like the intersectionality of this all too like we're all like i mean people of color or lgbtq or lbtq uh people like obviously you know need a voice at the table too it's like this goes beyond you know gender right which is why i was careful to say like not men yeah like (laughs) trying to recognize like when i say when i say women film like again i i know like i can recognize my privilege as a middle class white woman like in the privilege i've had growing up and also understand that like most of the women at the table, like Greta Gerwig, she's a white lady, and, like, that's fine. Like, it's still great that she's doing things, but 
even the people at the forefront of our mind still have a place of privilege that we at least need to consider not villainize them for but at least recognize yeah totally totally agree does anyone else have anything to add one i i don't know like one thing i was thinking about and this people will probably disagree but because i'm not for the having a separate gender category but I almost would be okay with having almost like an affirmative affirmative action type thing. <laughs> like, I hate to say it like that, but like, almost like we're at least one, like, best director cat, um, slot needs to go to, like, a woman or a person of color, or both. <clears throat> just, just because it'll force, I don't, it, it, I just feel like it'll force, like, the exposure of more, you know, directors that are, you know, in, in the mar- marginalized category but I don't know, that's just, I, I feel like, because I just don't think the, or, or like the people in the Oscar, like we need to get more diverse people in the actual Oscars who are voting, but the requirements are just so, you know, like uh, Matt was saying, like the requirements are just, it makes it so it's much harder for women to even get in. So yeah, I don't know. That was just kind of a thought of like a way of like maybe getting more exposure, at least for now, for women and you know, and other genders and people of color. You know, increased representation. Yeah, yeah really. Yeah. yeah, and and you know, like like that Time article, I guess, says to give people more established careers that right. opportunity. What are your thoughts on like they expanded the uh, best picture? to 10 films to expanding best director to 10 nominees <laughs> I know. i'm all for it matt loves that i, I know I'm, I'm for yeah directors and actors more uh, more inclusive but it would still just be one that wins right yeah okay yeah. okay yeah i mean that's a start. yeah i mean i it's possible we need to head toward a rule change mm-hmm. yeah yeah i agree i i, I think just as like you know companies have rules with hiring people like the academy Awards should have rules with like they should have more strict rules in place with diversity and and in in filmmaking and both for actors and for directors and everyone in the technical field and just a really quick i know i'm trying to wrap (laughs) up but just a really quick because i know when we say this you're gonna have people who listen and say oh like giving special treatment is just this is bad is ignoring them together and to that i say big old n-o you can, it's an active fighting back against already unfair fair systems. We're talking equity, not equality here. And it's fighting back against like a systemic issue that cannot exist the reverse, right? Like you cannot say it's like just as sexist to go see a film by right. a woman just because she's a woman. Because no, like it's all about like systems of power and years of oppression. Um, and the same goes for racism and homophobia and every other issue where people in power say it's just as bad to give them special treatment because it's not (laughs) because we have to actively do our best to fight against it things aren't actually a meritocracy like people think they are yeah no uh agreed (laughs) well as we kind of wind things down here can where can other people find uh you all so that can hear more of these uh more of these takes uh go Carly, where can people find you? Um, you can follow me on Twitter, twitter.com slash realcarlydudek. <laughs> I also have a podcast. Definitely stole the idea from every other person. Every millennial. Has. How dare um, you? Every, every Zoomer, every, <laughs> every millennial. It's Works Cited with Carly Dudek. I'm only on Spotify. I don't know why I'm working on it, but Spotify is a great app. You should, <laughs> this episode is sponsored by Spotify. Um, <laughs> Yeah, we're excited with Carly Dudek. I have guests on, and we read things, and we research things, and we talk about things, uh, much like a college yeah, essay. Exciting. Uh, Jenny? So my um, podcast is called This is the Part I Don't Get. It's me and my uh, best friend, Bay, and we just talk about weird things that doesn't make sense to us. We, we are on, all I think, all platforms, uh, Instagram, Facebook, and um, Spotify, Anchor, iTunes, all that stuff. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Great show. We'll definitely link them. Corinne? Yeah, so I haven't joined the podcast world. I just listen to lots of other podcasts. Uh, well, you're an honorary fan. member of this one. Yay. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Now I need to add Carly's to my yes. I know, me too. Thank to you. <laughs> I didn't know she had one. Um, and there's only two episodes. It's fine. 
That's cool. Okay, I can catch up quickly. <laughs> but I'm at Instagram, Rin for the win. Ooh. <laughs> well, I can highly recommend all of these, all of these <laughs> forms of uh, entertainment. Is that the right word? And want to thank everyone for joining us for the first roundtable and hope that we have another sorts of similar episodes in the future. Yes. Um, Would love to do it again in person. Yeah. I hope this didn't come off as like kind of a token episode. (laughs) No, I, Uh, I I appreciate it. I think it's great that, you know, that, you know, have to have women on to get their perspective. (laughs) You're passing the proverbial night. Yeah. Yeah. What you're doing, you're sharing your privilege. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Thank you for sharing your privilege with us. Recogni- yeah. Recognizing and sharing. You can have it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. um, well, I think like, you know, like we said, I think the best thing that Matt and I can do forward is to do better. I will do better as an Oscar voter. Will yeah. you? I, well, I'm not an Oscar voter. Oh, but too bad. I, too bad. I, I will uh, do better as a uh, co-host of a podcast oh, to give give voices to uh, people who may not have the platform good for you me too me too <laughs> yeah um possible poor choice words this is where i exit yeah. have a good night <laughs> but uh please continue to uh challenge us and call us out too and where, where uh, can they do that uh, yeah, just send us an email at stepandrepeatpod at gmail.com if we misrepresented anything or if uh, you would like uh, to air any of your concerns, too. Yes. And uh, you can always uh, comment on our Facebook page or Twitter handle yes. we at repeatsteppod. We take questions, concerns, threats, bribes, promises, all of it. <laughs> Uh, and um, if you liked this episode, if you liked the roundtable, uh, and you would like us to do more of these, uh, please rate us and review us. Uh, that way, that helps us get the word out and uh, hopefully expand the table to allow other uh, voices to come in. The more diverse, uh, the more diverse voices we can give uh, a platform to. Uh, hopefully the better. Well, I want to thank uh, Carly, Corinne, and Jenny. Yay! <laughs> thank uh, you. I would love to have <laughs> Yeah, thanks for having yeah, us. Thanks. Uh, hope you can come back, either for another roundtable, or hopefully we won't uh, accidentally ignore <laughs> uh, another special episode like we did for Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood and Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, thanks again. I think, yeah, I had a, a great time talking with you all. Yeah, so, thanks and, for having us. Yeah. All right. All right. On that note, thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.